Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new pin releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the world's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your smartphone. Find out more at sciencediv.com. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. emotional pit that is dan davidson's broadcast studio it's the biggest little show this side of the alpha quadrant the flagship of the trek geeks podcast network greetings one and all welcome to the trek geeks podcast this is episode number 215 and i am your co-host to the the ever joyful bill smith at least i'm joyful until this particular moment when i bring in my aforementioned co-host who really kind of drains the life and emotion out of every situation he's in. Um, I prefer to think of him as a bit of an oxygen thief, but um, let's just say that if there's joy in a room, he's going to suck it right out of there. He is the largely taxing Dan Davidson. And Dan, um, cheer up, buddy. Do you need a tissue? No. Hi. That was beautiful, <laughs> man. I love you. Thank you for joining us from your pit of despair. <laughs> yeah. Well, whenever I'm looking at this screen and you're on it, I'm in despair. Believe you me, sir. Good to be here, though. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Might as well get all the laughter out of the way because it's not going to last long. Unless I'm looking at your face. Ah, no. Oh. Anyway, bazinga. Anyway, yeah, so here we are. Episode 215. That's a lot of episodes, and we've never had this subject before, and we're both kind of scratching our heads as to why. Yeah, well, apparently the executive producer of the show needs to do a better job, so he's bringing his A-game now after 214 prior outings. Great it's job. about time. Great uh, job. But our topic for today is... <laughs> Tear jerkers. It's Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about some of the um, some of the most significant and, and best emotional moments in Star Trek that, that may or may not have reduced us to tears. I'm willing to bet they did, though. Yeah, you go ahead. Know, I find I found it interesting while I was thinking about this topic. There are ones that make me blubber like a fool. But going over and thinking about seven hundred plus episodes and dozen movies plus, there's not a whole lot that I was really able to grab onto and say, "Yeah, that's a tearjerker," which is a good thing. But at the same time, maybe I'm just an emotionless jerk. 
And there's a lot more tearjerkers than I actually thought. Well, see, here's the other thing. I, I'm I'm not the greatest scale to, to judge this by because I tear up watching margarine commercials now, for God's sake. They're strong commercials. <laughs> no, we were watching an episode of SEAL Team the other night, and there was something going on. And uh, I, I think it was uh, uh, one of the, the characters went to officer candidate school and, and made it through and, and got promoted to Ensign. And I'm getting like all buggy eyed and wow. I can feel the tears coming. in. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Wow. That's when funny. did I become this pile of mush? Well, you're 50. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank <Sorry>. you. Thank <laughs> you. You'll always be older than me, though. That's all that's I care true. about. I will always be. And I'm an emotional wreck, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. So I don't know that I'm the best, you know, judge because anytime I watch something in Star Trek now that what didn't make me emotional before, it's like, oh my God, Neelix made Leola root stew. <laughs> the unicorn dog died. <laughs> the cloud could stay, but the Frankie, the gorilla suit has to leave. That's actually funny. You shouldn't be. I am laughing on the inside. <laughs> Dan, why don't you uh, tell people how they can regale us with their favorite emotional moments of Star Trek, including the one that I just play acted for everybody. I'd be happy to go blow your nose, buddy. It's kind of leaking. Uh, if you're looking to get in touch with us, you can head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact. And there you will find a multitude of ways to communicate with us. Now, of course, there's Skype chat, there's email, there's even voicemail by way of that big blue button using SpeakPipe. Whatever way you want to contact us, just make it so because we love hearing from you. Plus, there's also the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook. It is called Camp Kittimer, and it is our official group where there's over 1,600 other friends gathering to talk Trek. It is always positive, and we never allow any bashing or gatekeeping at camp. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to take part of a truly wonderful social experience. As always, we want to thank our admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running said camp. And also, please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places. <laughs> anyway, Bill, how you doing? You know, it's like six in a row that I haven't screwed up. So Cheer up, little buckaroo. Well, I don't know. It's hard to tell because we couldn't really hear you finish it. You broke down into a, a puddle of tears oh, and snot. I'm just practicing. I don't know. I see. I see those tears. They're yeah. real. Look at that. It's real. Oh, very nice. Thank you. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. Star Trek News. What? I don't even know what it is. You said Star Trek News. Star Trek News. No, Trek News. <laughs> net. Online at Trek News. Net. What's your line? We've only been doing this for how many hundreds of episodes? Oh, I wasn't trying to say who we who our sponsor of the news is. I was just trying to throw something Star Trek in there, and I completely screwed it up. See, now that I know you're just happens. now I know you're just pulling that out of your butt. <laughs> <laughs> Considering you 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 mess up the name of your own show on occasion. Trek Geeps. Trek Geeps. Help me, Spook. Well, first up, Dan, as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to alter reality in some way or another, 
at least one of the biggest conventions in the entire world has decided they are not going to chance it this coming July. Yeah, and sadly, man, I kind of expected this was going to be the case. Uh, it's already an established fact that sporting events, concerts, graduations, and all kinds of other uh, gatherings have been canceled indefinitely due to the coronavirus. And last week, San Diego Comic-Con was also affected by the outbreak. Officials of the huge event have decided to cancel this year's convention due to the fears of the virus and to keep social distancing where it should be. As this convention is only two weeks before our beloved STLV man, my hopes for heading out to Vegas in August are dwindling at warp speed. Um, at this point, even if the event's still scheduled, I'm a little concerned about heading out to the desert. I still keep my fingers crossed, but SDCC cancellation is huge, and I think it's going to start uh, a kind of a cascade. Well, as we record this, we're 106 days away from Star Trek Las Vegas. Um, could it improve? Yes, but I don't think it's likely to. What if they postpone it to later in the year? What does that do to your feelings? I think later in the year is is good. If one of the things that we're dealing with right now in the United States is people want to do things, they want to open up and and start bringing things back to normal. We don't know if it's time to do that yet. If we're further down the road and it looks like it's time to start opening and then they decide to reschedule the events, I'm perfectly fine with that. But if people are just going to throw out a date just to throw out a date, I'm going to be very cautious. No, I agree with that. I am. Um, I'm. I'm on the fence as to what I'm going to do. I think it's going to depend on, on, on what the situation is in the world and what the recommendations are from organizations like the CDC and the WHO. Yeah. Exactly. Um. I uh, may I still go to Vegas if if uh, Star Trek Las Vegas doesn't occur? Possibly. I don't know yet. Yeah. Um. But a lot of it's going to depend on what's going on. I will say that my wife and I had a cruise planned for September, mm-hmm. which we have canceled. Um, because, um, I don't necessarily know that that's going to be right for that particular industry for that particular time. Yep. I I understand. We've canceled our trip to Hilton Head in a few weeks. We have canceled our trip to London in November, so we're not going to be able to attend uh, Destination Star Trek if it still happens. Um, so yeah, a lot of people are dealing with this stuff. And of course, the most important thing, as we've always said here on the show, is to people stay safe. Um, if things don't happen, they don't happen. We'll get together at some point. We'll raise a glass and be friends together at some point. We will gather again at some point someday, just not necessarily when we want. It's going to be a big bummer to everybody if that's indeed what happens. But Mm -hmm. at that point, it is for the greater good and the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the few. If if I learned anything from Star Trek. So also, Dan, as is pretty much the case for pretty much the entire industry in Hollywood, shooting schedules for shows are all delayed, and that includes season two of Star Trek Picard. But an interesting interview last week sheds some light on a possible return of a beloved TNG character. Very beloved. I think our good friend Haley is going to love this one because she loves this character. In a recent online interview with Entertainment Tonight, LeVar Burton was at, LeVar Burton, excuse me, was asked if he had discussed the possibility of Jordy LaForge returning to see his longtime friend and captain. After a few moments of muttering whether he would get in trouble for saying anything, he finally confirmed, quote, sure, what the hell? Yeah, absolutely, end quote. Even more interesting, Bill, was the fact that he indicated we would see a lot more of the TNG crew before the series is over. Quoting again, you'll see us all, probably not at the same time, although never say never, end quote. Um, and this is pretty amazing news to me, man. I think they got it right with Data and with Riker and with Troy in season one. So I have all the faith in the world that the writing staff will make these possible appearances more than just fan service. 
So if and when LeVar does reprise his role as Jordy, he will be join, joining the only confirmed return of a character for season two, who happens to be Whoopi Goldberg's Guinan. I'm okay with the way they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And I say this because I am tired as hell of hearing about, well, they didn't show Beverly Crusher oh, in season yeah. one of Picard. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. I don't care that they didn't show Worf. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care that they didn't show Jordy. I don't care that they didn't show anyone else who wasn't there because the story is is Picard's. Right. Um, like LeVar said, they will eventually get to all of them most likely. And who knows, maybe there's a reason why we haven't seen Beverly yet. Maybe there's a falling out between her and Jean-Luc. We don't know. So yeah. let it play out. If if they had done it and put everybody else in up front, like at some point during season one, people would have complained it was fan service. Absolutely. I totally agree. I want that if they're going to bring any of these people in, I want it to fit the story. I don't want it to just be shoved in there so that we can say, oh, my God, it's war. I don't want that. I want it to be an important aspect of what's going on in the season. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, I, I can believe that if they do it, when they do it, should they do it, it'll be done well and done correctly. Mm-hmm. That's that's really what I care about. Does it propel the story, like you said? So, And finally, Dan, a particular actress and Star Trek superfan has also made it clear that she wants to fulfill a lifelong dream of being in Star Trek. And one of the characters she wants to play could surprise you. Well, I got to say, any character that this woman wants to play, I am all for it, man. While rumors have been circulating for some time that Rosario Dawson will join the Star Wars universe as Jedi Ahsoka Tano, who I have no idea who that is, uh, (laughs) in season two of The Mandalorian, she recently told the Variety After Show that she really wants to be on Star Trek. Quote, I was thinking that I know people who do makeup on it, and I could just be a background Romulan or Vulcan or whatever. It would be so fun to just throw me in there. I could just walk through as a Klingon. Just something in the background. And my brother got really mad and said, absolutely not. I was thinking I could just be a red shirt who always gets killed. He was like, no, we talked about this. You have to be a captain. My brother plays a Star Trek online game and does missions and thinks I have to be at least a captain. But then my dad said I should be Q because male Q, female Q, young Q, they're all just Q. It's the Q continuum. It would be great. Then I could jump on Discovery and I can be on Picard. I just want to be with Jean-Luc Picard, end quote. That's a lot of information in that quote, but it was so good that I had to include the whole thing. That would be amazing. The best part is is she's not wrong. (laughs) No, she's not. And neither is her dad and neither is her brother. (laughs) Yeah. Um, One, uh, that's a whole lot of Star Trek fans who know their stuff. That makes me happy. Two, um, I've seen people respond to this favorably and respond to it negatively, and my answer is still the same. Why couldn't she be Q? It's like, well, John Delancey is Q. She couldn't be that Q. It's like they're all Q. It doesn't matter. They're all. I don't remember, I don't remember Susie Plaxon looking like John Delancey in that one episode where she was Q. No, but technically they'll say she was a different character, even though she was Q, because Q couldn't exactly mate with himself. Mm. But the way it's the Q are omnipotent. They yeah. know who Jean-Luc Picard is, and she right. would know everything mm-hmm. because she's an omnipotent being. So right. I, I think it would be fantastic. I, I would love to see Rosario Dawson in Star Trek. Uh, back in the day, I, I know I was saying this, and I'm pretty sure that uh, the Trek movie was also saying that, you know, she should be Michael Burnham. Um, right. It turns out that we got somebody amazing for Michael Burnham, so I'm not broken up about it. But Rosario Dawson is amazing. She, I'd love to see her in Star Trek. 
Yeah. It's really amazing to see all of these people that we love in Hollywood coming out saying they're such huge Star Trek fans. You got Rosario, you got Lance Reddick and Bosch, who was simply amazing as a huge Star Trek fan. I just love seeing that. It makes my heart smile when, when all of these people say they'd love to be in Star Trek. It's funny. I was going to say there's two people I'd love to see in Star Trek, Rosario Dawson and Lance Reddick, and you just happen to bring them up, <laughs> which is the best. There you go. Dan, based on our Trek Tuesday photo for this week, I know that you were a happy man as a large shipment of pins from fansets made into your house. That Mako pin is just gorgeous. And listeners, as always, fansets is hard at work to bring you the best pins possible for your fandom. Right you are, Bill. doesn't matter if it's Star Trek, Harry Potter, Alien, Firefly, anything. They've got it all. I was so excited to welcome eight new pins to the family. And as you said, they are all simply gorgeous. That makeup pin is something else. Also, I got to say, though, in my shipment, I have to say, I, I received a preview pin that I am simply busting to talk about. I have a special preview. It's right here in my hands. Bill, I showed it to you a few minutes ago on camera. It's regarding Star Trek Discovery Season 2 episodic pins. One of my favorite moments ever was during Season 2 where we finally got to see Captain Pike's accident that put him in the boopy chair. And Fansets has captured the the magic of episode 12 in this new episode pin, Through the Valley of Shadows. The bright green time crystals, Tenevik's eerie gaze, and the wheelchair-bound scarred Captain Pike. Chills my blood just to look at it. You can already purchase pins from episodes 1 through 11, and this amazing 12th episode pin as well as the rest of the season, will be available very soon. Just head on over to fansets.com for all the details. It's it, it truly is amazing. I mean, I remember watching that episode, and you were watching me watch that episode. And um, it, it was it, it was nothing but earth-shattering, and the pin captures it magically. It is awesome. Um, in addition to the episodic pins, be sure to order your special Star Trek Discovery season episode backer and frame so you can display these gorgeous pins the way they were meant to be seen. And of course, if you want to receive an amazing 15% off your entire order at fansets.com, then you're going to want to fill up your cart. Just put all the pins in there, all the accessories, get it all. And at checkout, enter the Trek Geeks exclusive discount code, UGLYCRY. That's U-G-L-Y-C-R-Y in all capital letters with no spaces. This bonus code will be available to use until Wednesday, April 29th, 2020 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Bill, I've got a special announcement just coming in from Flansets right now. I got to go. I got to go live to me. <laughs> we just got a text as we started to record this episode tonight from Lou at Fansets to talk about a simply huge announcement. There's going to be a new special pin that's going to be coming out May 1st, dude. It is a big surprise. We can't say what it is. We know what it is. But trust us, listeners, you are going to want this pin probably more than any other pin that you have in your collection. It is huge. The actual details of what it's going to be will be coming soon. Keep your eyes and ears on Fanset social media, on our social media, because you're just going to be blown away by what's coming soon. And also, on May 1st, I just talked about this just a minute ago, that episode 12 pin, Through the Valley of Shadows, is going to be available at Fansets.com. And it's kind of interesting that this next pin announcement is going to is being announced tonight. 
when you listen to tonight's Farkism, you'll know what I mean. Locutus of Borg is coming out. The Micro Crew version on May 1st. It's awesome. Buy it right away. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks. Well, Dan, we gathered this week to consider some really emotional episodes. You know, we were thinking about uh, how to look at Star Trek in different ways, especially um, in these times where uh, we could all use some entertainment. And invariably, it occurred to me that um, some of these episodes are, are kind of emotional. When you start binge watching, you start to build some of that emotion, you know. And um, what a better topic this week than to talk about tearjerkers or the episodes that that kind of give us an emotional response that that may involve those things called tears. I think you're familiar with those. Every once in a while, they come out of me. Um, uh, more often than not, uh, sitting here with you on a weekly basis. But that's neither here nor there, my friend. Um, I actually think that this is a great topic to talk about. Uh, with Star Trek, there are some very emotional moments in the Star Trek universe, and uh, we we talked about it before. I'm actually surprised we haven't done this yet. Um, the idea that a TV show can move someone as much as it can, with at least some of the examples that we have to discuss on this week's episode, really shows how good the writing of this of this universe has been over the years. Um, it's it, as William Shatner said. Uh, it's just a TV show, but it moves people and it means a lot to people. And a lot of these moments are right up there. Um, I'm going to probably cry just talking about some of them because they're so important and so well done. You know, it's amazing because it's like you said, you know, Shatner said, you know, it's a TV show, get a life. But, you know, we invest something of ourselves in, in, in getting to know these characters and going on their journey with them. And it, 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 it touches something in us and it's, it's a connection that is deep and meaningful. So when these characters experience some of these things, you know, you can't help but have some of these reactions because it's become a part of you as well. And I think that it's good to recognize that. I, I think it's healthy to recognize that quite honestly. So, right. I, um, uh, so I, you and I have each picked a list of, of episodes. Mm -hmm. What went into creating your list? Was there any overriding factor or was it uh, ones that make you particularly emotional or just ones that you think have great emotional moments or, or what was the calculus? I think for me, mostly the calculus is the moments of the episodes that were overly emotional to me. Not perhaps the story so much, although a lot of them, the story is very emotional. But the ones that I can't not watch without getting completely just beside myself crying or trying to hold back tears, watching it for the hundredth time and still having the same reaction that I've had over the last 20 years in some instances. Uh, what about you? Did you have a similar type of way to choose them? I, I did in a way. I mean, I, I thought about the, the scenes in particular that caused me to feel that emotion mm -hmm. or that, you know, caused me to tear up or even just to, in the case of one of them that we've talked about before, uh, just like we said, ugly cry, like we did in the fanset spot. Right. Um, it's just uh, absolute weeping. Um, and, and it's a, it's a range of emotion. It's not necessarily the same one each time, but it is definitely that same center. Right. So uh, I, I went for specific scenes as opposed to episodes in general. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so what we'll do is we're going to talk about mine first. Okay. And then we're going to introduce a brand new sponsor to Trek Geeks. Yeah. Baby. And then we're going to talk about your list. So how about uh, how about we dive in? I think we should dive right in. Dive in the deep end, though. If you dive in the shallow end, can you hurt yourself? 
Oh, thank you for that tip. That's yes, good to absolutely. know. Um, so first on my list is um, is probably I think uh, uh, forgive me for, you know for not knowing the exact amount of time this takes. I usually refer to it as the first twelve minutes of Star okay. Trek two thousand nine. Um, that whole opening scene with George Kirk taking command of the USS Kelvin um, after Captain Robau is is killed by by Nero. Um, it is an incredible story in itself in those 12 minutes. It's a short story Mm -hmm. and you feel a variety of range of emotions, everything from, uh, from their sense of going boldly to fear to innate sadness toward the end. In fact, it's that moment where, you know, he's, he's talking to Winona Kirk over the comms. He's the only one left on the bridge. He can't set the auto destruct Mm -hmm. because it's, it's, it's been damaged in the attack. And, you know, he's, they're talking about the baby's name. He's like, you know, we'll name after your your dad. He's like, Tiberius? No, that's a terrible name. That's the worst. We'll name after your dad. <laughs> and, you know, they're talking and they're they're sharing that moment. And the next thing you know, it's over like that. Mm-hmm. And that's really what gets me is that moment. And then uh, Michael Giacchino's score oh. right under that with the – with the right music at the right time, it's just, it is gut wrenching because you feel that entire moment and it's, it hurts, man. It really hurts. You're absolutely right. I had not thought of that and that one until you brought it up. The emotion is, is, is right there for me, but I got to tell you what's more emotional for me in that you just brought it up the score. And then I will tell you this happened. I went to see this movie with Sue and the kids at an IMAX theater. So it was the first Trek movie in how many years? Oh, yeah. When that music started playing and then the the Delta showed up, I started crying at the movie theater. That was the emotional moment. Oh, so right after that, yeah. The, the whole scene was great, but just the music and seeing that on screen and a giant IMAX screen, that sent me over the edge for that, for the, for 2009. Now, the 2009 movie gets, it gets some very, polarizing reactions one way or another. People either love it or they think it's a travesty. I love it. I think it's a great movie. Um, But uh, by and large, those same people tend to agree that the first 12 minutes is a really great piece of film. And it truly is because it, JJ Abrams kicks you right in your emotions. He says, all right, here's Star Trek. I'm going to kick you in the gut. And then I'm going to tell a story that branches off of this. And you're not sure how he's going to do it at the time. And I think it's done really well. Here's what's great about it is he does exactly that. He kicks you with those emotions, but he also blends in so much more. The special effects, the vastness of space, which we really have not seen to that level of how tiny that starship is when they show it from a distance against Nero's ship next to the sun. Just the way that they were able to bring those visuals into the emotion of that moment. Brilliantly done. I got to say, just like you, I think 2009 is a masterpiece. I, I agree with you. That final shot before you get to the uh, the opening credits and the the delta that sort yeah. of turns, you see the uh, the Narada sort of rotating on its side because it's it's severely damaged, and you see the silhouettes of the shuttles, yes, trying to make their way away from the scene. And it's it is a beautifully composed shot and the perfect end to that incredibly emotional moment. That even though Winona Kirk has suffered a great loss, life goes on. And the life that was saved is going to be a life that changes the destiny of Starfleet and of the crew of the Starship Enterprise. It's an amazing moment in Star Trek history. To quote our good friend Jim Morehouse, that's a great pick. 
That's a terrible impersonation. <laughs> I wasn't trying to impersonate him. I was just trying to say a great pick. <laughs> oh, because you sounded like you were choking or dying, and then that I got really excited. Water, yeah. <laughs> I know this is the tearjerkers episode, but I, I really had a smile come across my face. It was amazing. Very nice. Very nice. So that's the first one on my list. The second one on my list is another Star Trek movie moment, and it's in the Kelvin timeline. Um, and when we all went to go see Star Trek Beyond uh, in 2016, God, four years ago now, it's amazing. Um, at that point, Leonard Nimoy had passed away some time before, mm-hmm. but it was the first film to be released following his death. And of course, right. he had been in the previous two films, both Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness. And in this movie, they they let Kelvin Spock, played by Zachary Quinto, know that Prime Spock had died. And toward the end of the movie, there is a gut-wrenching scene which left me a puddle, and I'm getting emotional thinking about it now. So am I. Where Quinto Spock is going through Nimoy Spock's effects, and he sees that photo on the bridge from Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, a publicity photo, uh, which now is canon, by the way. Yes. (laughs) Um, And you see what he saw in the music playing behind it, and you hear Sandy Courage's music. Yeah. You know, just echoes of it in the background, and it it brought every emotion of being a Star Trek fan all my life. You know, for for almost f- for forty years at that point, mm-hmm. um, into the forefront, and I just I immediately started to cry. It is a beautiful, beautiful tribute. It is amazing, and it's funny because we had heard that they were going to do something to acknowledge Leonard's passing, um, and we also um, uh, had to. To deal with the sudden loss of uh, of um, Mr. A- Yelchin, Anton, also. yeah, yeah, Anton. Um, so it was two things that w- that that we knew we were going to be dealing with in this. Um, I thought the moment was when he just happened to be talking to the Vulcans, and he looked at his pad, and it showed Prime Spock's passing, but it had only been like t- a few years, which is interesting because he'd only been in that in that um, reality that long. But, and I thought that was a moment. I'm like, wow, that really wasn't, I mean, that was sad, but it was nothing. Holy crap. When they did this scene at the end of the movie and you got the music playing and it's dark and he flips open that, that image and it, it, the backlight comes through and you see that cast and they close up on everybody. That's one of the most powerful moments in Star Trek motion picture history. And I'm not exaggerating. That is amazing. And it's, I always find that, the music can have such a powerful impact on whatever scene is going on that we're talking about. And this is no exception. You know, it's amazing because in that movie, you know, Spock uncomfortably confronts mortality, his own mortality through somebody else, um, himself. And it's really kind of amazing. I mean, he gets to talk about that with McCoy while he's injured. And it's, it's a really pivotal moment for, for, Kelvin Spock, I think. And I think it's, it's, it's a series of scenes between Carl Urban and Zachary Quinto that I think are just purely outstanding between the two actors. And I have to, you know, my hat's off to, uh, to, uh, uh, Simon Pegg and to, um, Oh God, Doug, what's Doug's name? Uh, Doug Young to, uh, for, for writing such a, a great moment for those two characters, because I really think it was outstanding. It really was. There, there was another moment in that movie. This, by the way, this is an amazing pick, also, dude. Seriously, it's really great. The other moment that I found really um, touching was they did kind of have a um, a tribute to Anton at the end of the movie when they were all having drinks, and Kirk says something about 
absent friends. And it just happens to be at the moment where the camera is on Anton. I thought that was very nice, nicely done as well. Yeah, he repeats his toast from Star Trek Three yeah. and says to absent friends. Absent friends, yeah. Um, which is a, it's in itself a nice little piece of 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 canon being uh being revisited right there but right. um so yeah that's my that's my second pick you know i think about that and i i don't think the kelvin movies get enough credit for being as rich as they are with right. amazing character work and i those two picks alone for me really really do star trek a lot of justice i think those are great picks, man. Absolutely spectacular. My third pick, and this is an episode, this was the first episode that ever made me really tear up ever in Star Trek. Hadn't happened in the original series. To date, it hadn't happened in The Next Generation, but it did in this particular episode. And I'm referring to The Offspring. Um, Jonathan Frake's first foray as a director on Star Trek. Um, Data decides to build himself a, a, a child. And the child uh, eventually decides to be a daughter named Lal. And um, there's a great range of emotion in this episode. You get a lot of humor uh, in Lal's getting used to the world. The scene with Riker and Ten Forward is particularly funny. Um, but then toward the end, when you realize that Lal isn't going to make it, it, it starts to get really emotional. And... You obviously don't see it through data because data has no emotions. Right. And I say that in air quotes because data clearly has emotions of some kind. But it gets personified through the most unlikely source, which is Admiral Haftel. Absolutely. And there's that scene where, you know, uh, Troy and Wesley and I think Jordy's there too. They're in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And Haftel um, comes out into the hallway and and essentially says, and this is where I started to lose it back in the you – know, I guess, was it the late 80s, early late 90s? 80s. Mm -hmm. um, his hands were moving faster than I could see. Yeah. And at that point, I was just done. I didn't hear the rest of the scene after that because I had to go back and, and rewind my VHS because I was taping it at the same time. And um, it is it, it is by far the most unexpected emotional moment that I was just not prepared for. I, I have to agree 100%, and we're, we're definitely on the same wavelength tonight, man, because I was going to say, half tell saying his hands were moving as faster than I could see is the moment that gets me. Not so much when when she you know shuts down and, and her she does that type of thing, because we're with Data, and like you said, he doesn't have the emotion, but that reaction from from uh, uh, half tell brilliantly played by Nicholas Coster, I might add, it just wasn't meant to be. And you see the look of despair on Deanna and, and um, Wesley's face. Wonderful scene. I have not cried during that scene or that episode, but it is very emotional. And, and you can't help but feel bad for Data because he can't feel what we, sh we know he should be feeling. Um, so in one aspect, it's very sad that, that this happens, but it's also very sad that Data can't experience it. It really is. I mean, it's one thing that he takes her memories with him and the viewer gets some kind of solace out of that because it's just like when Spock died, he's not really dead if we remember him. Well, Data will never forget Lal because he's incapable of it. Right. Um, so it does take the sting off that a little bit, but not a lot yeah. um, because you know that everybody else around him feels the loss even more because Data decided to make something of himself and then he went through a pain that no parent ever wants to go through, mm -hmm. but he can't experience it the same way. Right. 
And it affects those people around him far more, which I, I found just completely gut-wrenching. I've always wondered, but I'm glad it didn't happen, what it would have been like if he had his emotion chip at this point. What we would have seen with the character of Data and his evolution or de-evolution, depending on how hard he took it. Now, I have to say that um, you mentioned Nicholas Coster just a bit ago. He has been in so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, but most notably, I recognize him instantly as Lionel Lockridge from Santa Barbara. Um, because in those days I was watching Santa Barbara yeah (laughs) um, he was two different stints you know like uh, in the late 80s and early 90s so uh, but I mean he'd been on the facts of life as Blair's father um, just in a a variety of things he's worked with just about everybody Um, so seeing him in that and you knew he was just going to be a guy you didn't like because it always seems like he plays the heavy yeah. He plays the jerk. And he's the jerk in this one. Um, well, Until he is and he's not, though. Until that moment, he's not. Until that moment, because yeah. he's not really a jerk per se. He's just interpreting the rules differently. Yeah. Um, I, I think of Bruce Maddox as a bigger jerk than Admiral Haftel. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yep. Um, but w- when the time comes to do the right thing, what does he do? He pitches in and does what any... Starfleet officer with the ability would do, right. he pitches in to help. Nice. And so uh, that in itself, that redemption is also pretty emotional because you realize this guy gets it. Mm-hmm. So, and the and what a great, great script it is. I mean, it's such a wonderful episode of Star Trek. Easily one of the best TNG episodes of all time. Absolutely. And is it uh, Haley Todd who plays Lal? Haley Todd. Hallie Todd, she does great too. I mean, the, the, there's humor in this episode. There's 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 love in this episode. She does a great job. The scene at Ten Forward where where she kisses Riker is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> when she's trying to play catch and just is not up to speed, get it? Um, is hilarious too. But yeah, uh, I like how you brought up the your love of of soap operas because it reminded me how earlier this week in Camp Kittimer somebody posted a picture of the season one one of the season one engineers. On TNG, and I'm like, oh, that was Diana Taylor in General Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Offspring, written by Renee Echeverria, yes, um, one of TNG's greatest writers Absolutely. of all time, and DS9's too. So, mm-hmm. um, so that is my my third pick. So Dude, far, I'm an emotional great. wreck. Oh, beautiful! I, I have a box of Kleenex here, which you may have seen me <laughs> grab down because I needed it while you were talking. I'm like, oh my god, Dan's voice is killing me. <laughs> I know, I know. That's what we, Dan, in the biz, that's what we call lightening the mood. Uh, yeah, lightning. Because yeah. I'm about to take us right back down into the pit, oh, and it's a mud pit. Oh, ooh. And with that, my fourth episode is going to be uh, Family from Star Trek The Next Generation. This is what we've liked to refer to as the third episode in the Best of Both Worlds trilogy, mm-hmm. because it does complete the story of Jean-Luc Picard and his assimilation and recovery from the Borg. Um, he goes home to Labar, France, a place that we know all too well now because of Star Trek Picard, mm-hmm. um, because he's broken. This is a, a captain we've never seen this way, you know, and he's, he, he's battered. He's beaten down. He gets into a fight with his brother, you know, they start arguing and eventually they start throwing punches at each other in the vineyard and they went up wrestling in the mud. And his older brother, Robert, says, you know, this is why you came home, essentially, for me to take care of you. And I'm condensing the scene. I mean, this happened earlier. but And Picard breaks down and sobs and says, they took everything I was. 
And you realize in that moment that the Jean-Luc Picard that we know, the gallant captain, the man who has made first contact with species, the person who has defended the security and the citizens of the Federation was practically lost all because of his experience with the Borg. And with one sentence, completely reduced to tears because he'd been eviscerated as a human being. He wasn't strong enough was the one that got me. Oh my God. Absolutely. This is Jean-Luc Picard. He can do anything in in people's mind and in his mind, I think. And he didn't have a chance against the Borg. And to see him break down like that, you saw someone who was on the highest of pedestals, completely thrown off of it and literally in the mud. Um, Just a great scene. Robert, you know, Robert was somebody who I did not care for. Um, when we first met him and saw him, he was the he was a jerk big brother. He had a chip on his shoulder, um, and then we see him in this scene. Um, and it, it's funny how you know, I still don't like you, Jean Luc, but he is the brother that Picard that Jean Luc needs at the right moment in that scene. It's a, it's a it's it's a gut wrenching scene, but it's a beautiful scene at the same time. Well, the thing you don't realize until that moment is Robert was being exactly who Jean Luc expected mm-hmm. and needed the entire time. Because what does he do the whole episode? He essentially goads Jean-Luc because he knows there's something there. He knows he came home for a reason and his pride, Jean-Luc's pride um, doesn't want him to say, he doesn't want to admit that he's broken. He doesn't want to admit that, you know, that every ounce of him was, was robbed from him by the Borg, that it was stolen. Um, And things get so bad to the point with Robert where Jean-Luc just can't take it anymore. And not only does he lose control of his emotions with Robert, but he just loses his inability to keep his guard up. And, and that's I, what Robert was waiting for the entire time. And I love how Robert knew exactly what he needed to do to finally push Picard over the Sometimes I enjoy bullying you. That, I mean, you think you, you're watching this for the first time. You're like, oh my God, this guy's an a-hole, but he's doing it for the right reason. And I Mm. think it worked really, really well. It's the dynamic they had. I mean, people can make whatever judgments they want to about it, whether it was good or not. Um, But Robert knew what Jean-Luc needed to open up. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it right. Um, But ultimately, without that scene, I don't know that that Jean-Luc Picard ever finds himself on the path to feeling more human ever again. We learn in Star Trek Picard that he has never felt completely human again. But that moment probably at least set him on the way to to making his way to feeling as human as he could if that makes sense it does makes perfect sense and and this scene in the offspring is is just so great and i love how it kind of came back a little bit in picard when he was looking through the his um his monitor at his desk and he saw the borg he saw himself as a borg that is chilling and that's not tear inducing but it's chilling and i think it's a great tie back to this specific episode I have to agree with you. So that, um, that's my, my, I want to say it's my last TNG pick, but it's not. <laughs> because, I mean, TNG had a lot of great moments, um, especially in the later seasons, not so much in seasons one and two, let's be honest. Um, but seasons three, four, five, especially, five is a lot of amazing moments, including the one that I'm going to talk about now. And of course, it's the episode, The Inner Light. Uh, one that we've both talked about is easily top 10 TNG all time, uh, without a doubt. And although the entire episode is just an incredible performance by 
Patrick Stewart living a lifetime inside of 40 minutes or so. The very final scene is what gets me every time. Picard's alone in his quarters in that season five sort of alternate uniform. Number one rings the bell and comes in with a box under his arm. Turns out it was the only thing left on the probe. It's a flute. It's the Resican flute that he was learning to play as Cayman in the life that he lived in, in his, in his head, I guess, for want of a better word. And so Riker presents it to him, leaves, and then Picard takes the flute out of the box and begins to play it. And the camera sort of swings around from Picard's right side all the way around to a full 90 degrees to facing him straight on. And eventually the Enterprise flies by with nothing but that flute playing sort of that, that haunting melody, which we'll hear time and again throughout Star Trek. But that whole scene from where P- Picard takes the flute out of the box and examines it and realizes that this is going to be a part of him for the rest of his days. He holds the flute, he clutches it, he holds it to his chest and realizes that that this is his touchstone to that life. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it completely uh, just gets me every single time. Without a doubt, this entire episode to me is is a tearjerker. This is my all time. I, I voted this my number one all time favorite episode of TNG when we had that uh, episode on the podcast. I love this episode. There are so many moments that make me tear up in this. When he's talking to his daughter and telling him to seize the day, and when he's talking about Bataille, his friend, and when his friend Bataille shows up again uh, when he's an old man, just just absolutely make me weep. And the music. You know for a fact, we went to see the concert tour in Boston uh, several years ago, and when the Inner Light Suite came on, I was a wreck. It was, it, it's just, that music is so powerful. And that scene, Picard, you know, as he looks shocked when Will says that he's only been unconscious for about 25 minutes, he lived an entire life. He had the family that he never was going to have as Jean-Luc Picard, and it, it kind of got ripped away from him when the, when the probe, you know when the when he, when everything happened, the probe wanted it to do, and the and the probe was launched um, from the planet. This may be uh, up until Picard, the show. This may be to me Patrick Stewart's greatest performance in Star Trek. This episode. And I have to correct myself just briefly, and before somebody sends me the correction, I said the camera swings around to the front. I'm wrong. It swings around to the back. Um, I just I got so caught up in the emotion of describing yeah. it that. Yeah. I, I could see it that way. And it comes around his back to the point where you see it over his left shoulder again. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that moment where he just clutches the flute mm-hmm. to me resonates more than him actually playing the flute. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That hug that he gives it. Yeah. You don't see emotion from Picard very often in TNG. And that's one that it's, it's subtle, but it's very strong. And even though this particular theme that we're talking about, this music is not in Star Trek Picard, the fact that music from the inner light is the actual theme for Star Trek Picard blew me completely out of the water. And I could not tell you how much I love the fact that that took place. I couldn't agree more. So those are my five picks. Um, certainly there are other great emotional moments in Star Trek. This is by no means a definitive list. Uh, but those are my five that just literally... I feel like I need a nap now because I'm just emotionally drained. (laughs) Those are all great picks, man, but don't take a nap because I want to make you cry. (laughs) You do every time just by opening your mouth.
Dan, we also want to take a moment right now to welcome a brand new sponsor to Trek Geeks, a wonderful small business that truly just makes one of the coolest products ever, man. Oh, man, this is so amazing. Back when we were at Treconderoga, we had the opportunity to see the preview of an interactive Tribble from a small business called Science Division. And you can actually control this Tribble with your iOS or Android phone. And it was so cool. They're incredibly soft. They purr when they trill. You don't need the app to play with them because, of course, you know, they're tribbles and they're very soothing. Unless, Bill, unless, of course, you're a Klingon. <laughs> well, you know, if you are going to use the app, they, then there's three modes. There's at ease, where they're happy and content and doing tribble-like things, like purring. That was good. Can you do that again? <laughs> they have on duty, which is a random mix of both happy and angry sounds. And then they have Watchdog, where they sound largely like Dan, which is angry and loud, shrieking at just about everything. So the app also has an attack button, which also makes your Tibble scream on demand at friends, family, coworkers, or co-hosts of podcasts. Or dogs. <laughs> or dogs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, we, we've been talking, Bill, we've been talking a lot about supporting small businesses lately. And Science Division is just that. It's staffed by a husband and wife team, Jay and Kalia. And of course, they're huge Star Trek fans. This entire project came out of Kaylee's childhood dream to own a real Tribble, which is just amazing. Well, and the best part is now you can too. The officially licensed Science Division Tribble is available now for only $69.99 plus shipping ahead or a body, which includes free access to the app on the iOS App Store and also Google Play. To get even more details and even see video of the Tribble, head on over to sciencediv.com. That's sciencediv.com. Sciencediv.com. You know, I got to say, this is just the best new addition to your Star Trek collection because, Bill, let's face it, Tribbles are not dangerous. <laughs> and we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, Dan, now we have to uh, consider your episodes in the tearjerkers category. Uh, these are five episodes that you've picked as being particularly emotional. And I get the sense that uh, much like you agreed with me, I'm probably going to agree with you 100%. Well, I hope so. I mean, we were lock, stock, and barrel on your five, man. Those were just, those were brilliant. And and I have my list written out here, but I'm actually going to go in reverse order. They're not in really any particular order, but they Mine weren't either, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to start with one that I think a lot of people talk about. We've seen it 40 years now we've been watching this or something along those lines. It's still powerful now. It's it's done so well. And I, I'm talking about an iconic death scene in Star Trek. And that is, of course, Spock's death scene in The Wrath of Khan, along with the funeral, where his was the most human. The, the scene between Kirk and Spock is is the first real moment for me in Star Trek that got me choked up. You mentioned it earlier. The original series doesn't really have anything that I can remember or think of that is a tearjerker moment. Um, I don't know if that's just because of you know the, the topics or the acting or whatnot, but watching Spock die, there were rumors circulating, but to actually see it happen... And the, the part that gets me and where I usually start crying is when he's walking towards the door and bumps into it and realizes that he's not getting out of there. 
and he's got the scarring on his face and his skin is peeled back from the radiation burns. Just, just great. And, and, and the despair that Kirk shows, uh, when, when Spock finally sits down and dies, that it's, it just always gets me. And I watched it, God, a, a month ago it was on. I was flipping through the stations. It was on. I cried. I cried. Believe it or not, I've never been emotional at that scene. Really? Yeah. Even when I first saw it in theaters in June of 1982, I, um, I, I didn't, I, I never once got emotional at Spock's death. And I don't know why. Um, maybe it's because at the time I, I just, I didn't necessarily, um, comprehend that the character was over because I was still seeing it on TV every night. Okay. You know, at six o'clock, but, um, uh, it wasn't long after that, that Gene Roddenberry essentially spoiled it for me at a, at a lecture that Spock was coming back. So, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe since then I just never developed the emotional connection with that particular scene. I don't know, but I get it. It is one of the most iconic moments in Star Trek history. It's funny because I don't remember if it was at the Brant in Nashville or at the General Cinemas at the mall that I saw. I saw one of those two places. And when I was there, I went by myself, I believe. But there was somebody who I knew who was there also. So we kind of sat together. And I usually sit on the end so I can – so the, the, the ramps, the, the walkway is right there. And when that movie ended, I got up and walked out of there without saying anything to the guy I was sitting with. Because I had been crying and I didn't want him to see that I had been crying. And I was just so devastated by what just happened. So I got up and left. The, the credits started rolling and I was out because I just, I couldn't take it. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, that's my first one. It's, 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 it's great. I, and I'll tell you what, I don't know how you feel about this. It's not as emotional, of course, but I don't have any problem with how they kind of redid that in, in the darkness. I really don't. I, I don't have a problem with it either. I keep people, I keep hearing people say that, you know, um, they essentially, robbed everything from wrath of Khan for inner darkness. No, they didn't because it's a completely different story and it's a juxtaposition of Kirk and Spock in the death Mm -hmm. scene. Um, I I don't think it's, it's robbery. I don't think it's cheating. I don't think it's lazy storytelling. I don't think it's any of that. Um, I think it's just people wanting to complain because it's not the wrath of Khan. I thought it was a great um, homage to the original. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, that's what I thought was great about it. So, all right, so let's move on to the next one. So Spock died. Okay, I cried. Spock, he's died. He died. They buried him. Spock, he died. He's dead. I don't know if I've ever died because of the death of an inanimate object until this happened, um, but I remember it. I know where you're going. tough one, and I know that you don't like this one either, but um, I know I know Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock is not your favorite of the movies, and I know that Christopher Lloyd is not your favorite of Klingons or, or villains. <laughs> Oh, I'm not I've come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, when that self-destruct hits zero and we see the Enterprise hull disintegrating and then exploding and turning into a ball of fire at the Genesis planet, that's the first time I think I cried for an inanimate object because that was devastating. That just can't happen. That's the Enterprise and it happened. Well, and that's that's really the moment that has made me emotional out of the original series films. It wasn't Spock's death. It wasn't Spock coming back. It was the destruction of the Enterprise, my boyhood ship of dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's I still can't watch it today without getting really bummed out because that that's the ship. Yeah, it didn't look like it did in the original series, but it, it looked even better in 1979 when it came back. And I I love it. I love it still. And seeing it just, oh. the I'll tell you what, the, it, it holds up remarkably well. The, it does. That actual it scene. Does. 
I mean, you can see in some of the space scenes in Star Trek Three, you can see where they've kind of superimposed the the, the ship. Um, you can see like little squares, but the actual um, explosion, the initial explosion, but then that disintegration of the hull when it shows a close up and you can just see it kind of like melting is, is for want of a better word is really something that that gets to me every time and then of course the explosion that takes out three quarters of the saucer so it looks like just like a big you know part of a moon like a moon like a quarter moon or something like that is is just gut wrenching that's that's even more gut wrenching than when kirk says my god bones what have i done um seeing that thing burn up in the atmosphere was just was brutal. Well, because Kirk instantly in that moment has remorse. Yeah. You know, and that's not something that James T. Kirk feels very often. Yep. He moves right. on to the next thing because he's in command. He's always making the decision for life and death. And Bones has to remind him, you've, you're doing what you've always done. Yeah. You've turned, you know, death into a fighting chance to live. And it meant sacrificing uh, a character because the yeah. Enterprise is a character in Absolutely. Star Trek. Yep. And she's a beautiful lady and we love her. And um, it's uh, still gets me to this day, man. It's brutal. Yeah. So maybe for a present, I'll get you that, um, like the was it? It's the orange Enterprise that you can get the model. Oh, that one's terrible. <laughs> it looks like the General Lee in space. I, I know it's just really like that. That's there was cool. somebody who did like a model kit bash, and they uh, yeah. they actually brought it to STLV at one point, and it was the Star Trek Three destroyed Enterprise before it meets the atmosphere yeah. with parts of the saucer blown away and incredible detail on the decks. And I was like, I was psyched to see it and sad at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That's always one that's going to get me. It's just it's saying goodbye to a wonderful character, like you said. So let's move on to my third choice. And this is a very recent one. And I've probably watched this scene six or seven times and I have not been able to get through it without crying, like literally crying, sobbing. And that is the uh, season one finale at In Arcadia Ego Part Two in Star Trek Picard. Now, before you say this, we should warn people um, yes. that if you yeah. haven't seen Star Trek Picard, um, we're going to reveal a major plot point here. So stop now. Yeah. Um, go watch Star Trek Picard and then come back. Sorry about that. Right. No, actually, that's a very good point. Um, I have said before that the the TNG cast did not get the send off that they deserved with Nemesis. And I think that Data's death and Nemesis was awful. I thought it was pointless. I didn't care for it. I didn't think it was well acted. I didn't think it was well written. And I've always had a problem with it. Season, not only did this episode really give us what we, what I wanted to see with saying goodbye to Data, the entire season is kind of wrapped around Data and, and Picard's um, grief that he has had for, for 20 years over the loss of his friend. But the last 15 minutes of this episode where we actually get to see Data, listen to him have a conversation with Picard, and then watch him age and die based on his wishes for ending his program that's been stored is so amazing and so heartbreaking. I, I, it is, and, and oh my God, we've talked about it, the music. Issa Brione singing, singing Blue Skies in the background rips my heart out of my chest, gets run over by an 18-wheeler, and then thrown into a fire pit. It is just so tremendously emotional for me. And Brent Spiner did so great. When I did not expect it. When he started aging on the couch, that's when I lost it. Same here. That's when I completely lost my bleep. And 
I'm so thankful, as strange as that sounds, that they did that. I I was glad it finally puts to rest the question of whether or not Data is dead for your sister. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's I I was okay with what happened to him in Nemesis because uh, much like Star Trek Two, he sacrificed himself for the greater good. You know, he he did what Spock did. He he put the needs of the many before the needs of the one. And he rescued Picard and he gave his life in, in service and, and uh, to the Enterprise. Um, I didn't think it was a horrible way to go out, even if it wasn't the worst movie. Uh, sorry, even if it wasn't the best movie. Yeah. Um, but getting this sort of coda to that moment, knowing that there's this, um, this neuron of data that has been stored mm-hmm. and its own a simulation is running based on it that essentially has data in some semblance of a life, but only in this one environment is, is really kind of staggering when you realize what it's about. And then when you see what that moment means for data, where in his last moments, he dreams of Picard. Yeah. It was the rapid aging in that moment where Picard comes and holds his hand. That oh, really just God, holding his hand. Yeah. Really just got me because at that point, Picard had already left. Mm-hmm. He'd already been, you know, essentially installed into the golem. Sure. Um, but you realize that the destiny of those two characters, whether we knew it or not, was forever linked. And we couldn't have known it in Encounter at Farpoint. We couldn't even have known it in the end of Star Trek Nemesis. But in that moment, you realize that these two are always destined to be a part of each other. And it adds so much depth to all of the interactions I go back and rewatch now, knowing that this is what happens at the end. Absolutely. And it's amazing. The opening of Picard was with Data. The ending of Picard season one was with data. If that's not a, a perfect example of what the, the character of data meant to the character of Picard, I don't know what is because the whole season is based upon data. When you really think about yeah. it, when you think about that, his, his, you know, Soji and Dodge and everybody else, um, uh, involved and, and Dr. Soon. It was just a brilliant, it was a brilliant goodbye to a character. And now we have that final goodbye, not the, oh, did part of them survive in B4 and this, that, and the other thing. It was just so great to see. And it was done in such a way that gave such class to to the people that wrote it and the people that acted it. And it's one that I will always tear up watching. But come on, Dan, Michael Shabon doesn't understand Star Trek. Come on. (laughs) Um, No, I, I can't agree with you more. I I didn't put this episode on my list because I was pretty sure that you would put it on there. And I'm, I'm glad to know that um, my, my faith was rewarded. Uh, it is it is one of the finest moments in all of Star Trek and certainly one of the most emotional. It absolutely is. So I've got two left. And I don't know if I'm going to make it through. I know. They're the two of the most powerful ones. So um, I've talked about this several times on the podcast. Um, I've always felt that everyone knows how important Deep Space Nine is to me. Um, you know it. You, Deep Space Nine is your favorite series. It's my favorite series. What you leave behind is is an amazing final episode to a series. We get to see so much. We get to see the end of the war. We get to see Odo and Kira say goodbye to each other. We get to see Worf become the ambassador to Kronos. All these things. But what we see in a couple of minutes before the end of the series brings me to tears every time. And again, it's it's a lot of it is due to the music. And that's when they're playing the Deep Space Nine theme 
and mixing it together with the way you look tonight instrumental. And we get to see various characters having their final moments on the station, whether it be Miles in his quarters for the last time, finding a piece of his uh, model from, um, from the um, uh, Alamo, or whether it's Dax looking down at Worf as he's leaving with, um, uh, with Martok. And then we have the final one where Jake is looking at the model house that, that his father Ben made. Those moments and that music brings me to a puddle of goo that Odo would be proud of seeing. And mix that with the last moment of the series when uh, Kira and Jake are looking out of the station and it pulls back magnificently against that uh, backdrop of the nebula. That's it, man. <laughs> I, I can't even finish my sentence right now. It's I have a range of emotion throughout that entire scene through the end. I don't wind up getting emotional through the, the musical montage with the way you look tonight. I actually have the opposite reaction. I wind up smiling from ear to ear um, because each character gets a beat before the finale. Before, before the curtain comes down, they each get their own moment. It was almost a curtain call and I, I thought it was just so exceptionally well done. Mm-hmm. What does get me is that last moment where Jake is standing out, staring out the windows in the upper level of the promenade yeah. and Kira comes up beside him and he puts his hand across his chest on top of hers yep. and that longest pullback shot ever. Yeah. Um, at one point, the longest pullback shot ever was in Star Trek First Contact, mm-hmm. but uh, this beats it by a country mile. Um, <laughs> that last shot of them pulling away, knowing that we're probably never going to see this station again, that's what gets me. Yeah. I, I, I the, the, I think what gets to me in the musical ensemble is they're playing the way you look tonight, and then they always go into the dun, 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 and that is what it gets me because it's the theme that I love so much. And and you're absolutely right; it's that last moment, and it's a great and wonderful moment to see these people, Julian and 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 um, and Miles hugging each other. It and I think that's why I that's why it it, it breaks me up so much is because it's getting to see these characters in their last moment on the show is what really hits home for me because it is the show that saved my life. And then this was the end of it. Um, I just love it. I love it so much. I can't even describe it. Well, and, and I totally get the only miss in that whole thing is that there's no footage of Jadzia. Yeah. That's the only takeaway. Other than that, it is a beautiful moment, a wonderful montage of so many character moments and the relationships, because that's really what you see on, on display in that whole montage. Um, it is, it is truly a beautiful moment. I totally get why it, it affects you that way. I really do. I'm, I'm betting that these days we've seen the, we've seen the, um, the documentary, what we left behind. I'm betting you that the powers that be in the show really regret a, the whole issue with Terry, um, when she left and b not having her in that ensemble, she should have been in there. Uh, and she wasn't. Even Ben should have been in there. When you think about it, they could. They should have. I mean, they did show with Jake. They showed him. And it's an interesting point that you brought up. Isn't it amazing when you see Jake from that first scene in the holodeck when he's fishing and how small and <laughs> tiny he is to him towering over Nana's Kira on that final moment of the uh, of the pullback. It's just. A, it's just. It's just so great. I love it. It totally is. That's a. Yeah. That is a wonderful pick, and and honestly, one of Deep Space Nine's finest moments. Quite honestly. It is one of its finest moments, but I have left Deep Space Nine's finest moment for my last tearjerker. And I don't think anybody listening has is going to be surprised at this at all. It, the entire episode is just the best, and that's The Visitor. 
Yeah. This this is a story that shows the true love of a father and son. And as you've pointed out several times, the relationship between Jake and Ben is the best relationship we probably have ever seen in Star Trek. The amount of grief that Jake carries with him through his whole life, brilliantly portrayed by Tony Todd, and what he's willing to do to get his father back is amazing. It is so sad to see what his life has been like, knowing that his father is trapped in this in this um, area of subspace. And the moment that, uh, every moment that Jake and his father are together and then Ben is ripped away, rips me, rips my heart out. Um, especially one of those first times when Ben is laying in the, in sick bay and, and Jake is watching him. Oh my God. Sorak does such an amazing job with that scene. It is, it is the definition of a tearjerker in Star Trek. It, it truly is. You know, we talked about the visitor in an episode called Star Trek's finest hour not long ago. Getting all choked up there. Sorry. That's okay. And um, that was one of the moments that really got to us both. I mean, there's there those moments exist throughout the entire episode. And I think that's what sets the visitor apart. Yes. The entire thing is one giant emotional slide into deeper and deeper emotion. And it's it's the kind that just by the time you get to the episode, you are as gutted as Benjamin Sisko is yeah. when he realizes what Jake has done. Mm-hmm. It's just Tony Todd for you and the boy that I was. He needs you more than you know. That whoever wrote that dialogue should get like whatever the hell the writing prize is for for the for TV back in the day. That is just just so great and. The thing that's amazing is when you think about it, this causes Deep Space Nine's reality to be an alternate reality. We talked about this recently. Everything that happened up to that point was the normal passage of time, and he alters it to go back in time so that the accident doesn't happen. I don't care. It's 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 it is Deep Space Nine's finest hour. I wish that we could have Tony Todd in more Star Trek. Every time he's in Star Trek, he does great. Nothing will ever top the visitor, though, I don't think, but I still want to see him. Uh, that episode written by Michael Taylor, who's written a number of episodes that we have loved over the years. Yes. And we didn't realize it until we talked about the episodes. Right. And yeah. we looked at the writing credits. So um, uh, the visitor, nothing holds a candle to it. Not only is it Star Trek's greatest love story, it is Star Trek's greatest emotional moment, I think. And uh, it's like you said, nothing really comes close to it. There are so many moments that are awesome and emotional and such great drama throughout Star Trek. But I think that you get more of them in the visitor from start to finish as part of the entire story than you do with any other episode. There's so many parts of this episode that can make me start crying. Just thinking about it, small aspects of the episode when Cisco returns and he's at, uh, he's talking to Jake and he's married and they're hugging. He starts crying and Jake or Ben just kind of looks up at, at Jake's wife and, and nods and she leaves the room. Just that moment of, of Tony Todd starting to weep just just kills me. Yeah. Kills me. Yeah. Well, Dan, that is a uh, that is one hell of a list that I have to say that uh, um, between – God, if, if somebody was going to marathon the, the 10 things that we mentioned tonight, um, I would seriously want them to seek some form of counseling afterwards because <laughs> uh, that word to buy stock in Kleenex or wait till the corona – 
virus epidemic is over so you can actually get paper products. <laughs> um, because you're going to be going through a lot of them. <laughs> That's true. It's the onion episodes like exponentially, right, Jackie? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Trek Geeks 215, nothing but onions. <laughs> Very, very nice. <laughs> well, buddy, that's sort of our look at um, at some of our favorite emotional moments in, in the history of Star Trek. Um, certainly there are others out there. Like we said, this is by no means a definitive list. Right. Um, we want to know what yours are. So let us know on social media or leave us a voicemail because uh, we want to know what your favorite moments uh, of emotion there are in Star Trek. Uh, of course, provided you're not Vulcan, in which case really none of them are your favorites. Dan, speaking of favorites... We have some favorite music that we use for every episode of Trek Geeks. It's the music of the band Five Year Mission, our friends, um, who also have a podcast on this very network. But uh, it all started with a band, and their music is on display on, on our show, on Rewind, on, on their show, obviously, on Discovering Trek, on Picard Live. Um, pretty much every note of music you hear is Five Year Mission. So please, we want everyone to go on out to their site at fiveyearmission.net, download all their albums. Or buy the physical media because physical media is so awesome. And uh, and become a huge supporter of the band because we are ourselves. FiveYearMission.net. Go get those CDs. So what's the name of their podcast? Um, it is Five Year Mission, the podcast. That is brilliant. Thank you. I love that. Thank you. Okay. Anyway. So yeah, I just want to I got I to gotta say something. And I, and I mean this truthfully. I got to give uh, thanks, Bill. I got to give thanks to the wonderful and magical Mr. Andy Fark for this week's Farkism. I'm not taking the credit for this one. He joined us on a recent Patreon meeting, and he gave me this idea. So credit must go to he who is the FARC. It's the ultimate cliffhanger. It's the ultimate threat. It's the ultimate FARCism. I am Tharkutis of Borg. Resistance is futile. Your music, as it has been, is over. From this time forward, you will listen to us. Mr. Worf, drumsticks. I can't even really facepalm that one because it was Farks. <laughs> um, okay, so if it was mine, it would have sucked, right? Probably. <laughs> probably. But I see, I, you didn't come up with it in 200 some odd episodes, so uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we were in danger of you coming up with it at all, quite frankly, because I've met you. You're not that bright. Not bright at all, but that was fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's fiveyearmission.net. Please go download all their albums. And of course, um, we want to remind everyone that uh, you can support the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts via Patreon. There you can see the new designs for both our annual supporters pin and our annual t-shirt. And I even get unedited audio of all our podcasts along with some other perks, Dan. Unedited audio can be dangerous, but it's fun. It is fun. It is fun. We want to take a moment right now, though, to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. Thank you, Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, Jim McMahon, 
Luke Burnham, Eric Sakian, Lisa Tomlinson, Jamie McGregor, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. <laughs> it was, you, you're almost a little too quiet there. That was that's a first for you because I've never. Yeah, you've never been in danger of being quiet about anything. Um, Dan, we also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, Rachel Delaney, and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Network. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today. Dan, next week, our year-long celebration of Voyager 25 continues. And we're going to tackle one of the most controversial episodes of the series. Threshold? No. Uh, no, controversial. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I thought <laughs> that actually that's an understatement, man. The division between the main question of this episode is known to start brawls bigger than the one in the bar of Deep Space Station K7 with the Klingons and the Federation. Tuvok and Neelix are fused together into a new life form named Tuvix, and Janeway has an impossible decision to make. Does she kill Tuvix to restore her two crew members, or does she keep Tuvix alive and say goodbye to her friends forever? We're going to discuss the Season 2 episode Tuvix and give our own opinions on Janeway's decision next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the podcast network for your fandom. That's uh, that's going to be a great episode next week. Uh, it's only a shame that you're going to be on it. So I know. Well, I, uh, we could fuse each other together. We could be Danville or Blam. <sighs> oh, God. Why do I even... Why do I do this show with you? That's, that's, uh, yeah, you can look for more insightful commentary like that next week on the flagship of course for more great <laughs> star trek podcasts we want to encourage you to check out the other member podcasts of the trek geeks podcast network uh guarantee to find something that's going to uh make your fandom more enjoyable and of course for all the news on all the star trek co please visit our great friends at treknews.net for now this has been episode number 215 of the trek geeks podcast we do hope you all live long and prosper Shut up, you cry, baby. Ugly cry. Your face is an ugly cry. <laughs> Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong. What's up? <laughs> Bing bong. Bing bong. That was a good Ruck impersonation, kind of, a little bit. Um, it was completely unintentional. It was very good. I'm very proud of you. It's like me at eight in the morning. I can't do it when when I'm awake, though. I don't know why. Because I'm not sure about that. But bing bong to you, uh, lad. Laddie. Lad. Hello, laddie. Hello, laddie. Bing bong to you. Hey, bing bong to you. We got to go play, lady. <laughs> All I got picture is, is, was it Looney Tunes? <laughs> okay.
that's one of the ones that Bugs Bunny talking about a shillelagh. Oh, all right. Okay. I think it's Bugs Bunny. It's been a long time. It's been a long road getting from there to here. Oh, God. Why did you do that? I, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And I think you're checking your text messages right now because I, I think right I just got, got the got same one you did. special announcement from fansets to go doing on during the fanset spot. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, that's big. That's big. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. If yeah. he means the one I think he means. He does. I think he does. I'm going to ask. Oh, he does. He says it right there. He just says, don't say what it is. It's in parentheses. All the people are like, what the hell is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. That's cool. Beautiful, beautiful. I think so you'll anyway. like my reply. <clears throat> just don't read it out loud. Okay. Um, I, uh, I have spent the better part of a couple of days trying to remember what day it is. And really this is the worst part of this whole process is that every day is the same day. I feel like I'm in groundhog day. Phil, (laughs) Ned, Ned Ryerson. And that's where I punch you in the face. Right after I step in the water. Yeah. Yeah. I will yeah. say that the Groundhog Day Jeep commercial for the Super Bowl this year was quite in, ingenious and in, 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 uh, good. Eh. I thought it was funny. I liked it. Eh. I could take or leave it. I, I appreciate the detail that they added to it, um, but I, I felt like, eh. Yeah. I was kind of met over it. Okay. All right. Like I am over your face. Well, that goes without saying. When you see this big noggin coming at you at warp speed, you're going to be like, hey, oh, hey. It's uh, it's more fearful than that because you mentioned big noggin and your noggin is just gigantic. It's giant, but it's not as big as your forehead in that Voyager pin that I got in the mail yesterday. Wow, <laughs> that's a big pin. <laughs> Are you saying no that my forehead is as big as the Voyager pin? Ah, uh, God, I'm not sure which one is bigger. I'll tell you. Okay, it's my forehead. Okay. You practically did, I jerk. Oh, but I might as well let you just take the fall. Now that you've admitted it, you're taking the fall. You are so dumb. Do you remember the song The Fall from Xanadu? I'm not going to sing it. Vaguely, but you remember I own the movie Xanadu. I do. Well. I should say my wife owns it because I gave it to her for Bad Movie Christmas. I listened to the soundtrack the other day while I was working. What is wrong with you? This explains so much. ELO, baby. Livy Newton John had the biggest crush on her in the world when I was a kid. ELO. And ONJ both have great albums. Xanadu is not one of them. <laughs> Linda Carter was number one. Livia Newton John number two. Oh yeah, I love them. <laughs> I wish people could see my face right now. <laughs> oh no, I I don't wish that on anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, so today we're talking about tearjerkers. Yes, and. I'm honestly surprised that we haven't done this topic before now, and I don't know why I just had the idea to do it, but I did. I think it's a fantastic idea. I'm not sure why we haven't done it either. Uh, we've done, I think we've done, have we done like funniest moments? Or yeah, we've done something like that. Um, not specifically. Not specifically, something like that. I, remember, I don't know. But um, we've done uh, different emotion type episodes, and uh, this is one that's... Uh, Maybe we pushed it off because it's going to hurt so much. 
I think we're next time we do a themed episode like this, we're going to do episodes that make me want to club Dan over the head with a heavy blunt instrument and could make me wind up on Dateline NBC. But, That's going to be the full title. Good luck finding an album cover. But wouldn't that be any episode, Bill? I don't Surely know. Would it? Speak, speak the truth. Uh, there'd only be one episode in that uh, podcast, and it would be Take Me Out to the Hall Suites. <laughs> <laughs> or Game 5 of the World Series that year. I'm not sure which. That was so fun. I think it was Game 5. It was. Uh, it was the, they were down by six in the eighth inning. Yes, it was the night after they uh, lost that like 18-inning marathon. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and then they won the next two and won the World Series. And uh, sports, as we know it, is gone forever. Well, I say, luckily, neither you nor I are going to be sharing a hotel room anytime soon, unfortunately. <laughs> or even if we are, there's not going to be any sports anywhere. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I've, I'm resigning myself to the eventuality that STLV is going to be canceled. Yeah, we're going to talk about, well, we will have already by the time people hear this, but we'll be talking about the SDCC and news, and I am pretty much 98% sure that STLV just is not going to happen. I mean, unless there are, you know, unless there is a market improvement shortly. I, I st- even if it happens, though, I'm kind of I'm kind of waffling on whether to go because it's going to be drastically reduced. There's not going to be near the amount of of um, stars there. I don't think there's going to be near the amount of people there, and it's going to be. I think it's going to be kind of dangerous, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know if it'll be dangerous. Uh, maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Um, I'm I'm playing it by ear. No. Um, it depends on you know we're what a uh, hundred and six days away mm. from the theoretical start of Star Trek Las Vegas. Um, uh, maybe the danger will subside to some degree by then. Who knows? Speaking of ears. Um, I may have mentioned this recently to you. I don't remember if I did. Ears? Yeah, ears. Speaking of ears, because you said you're playing it by ear. Oh, thank Um, you. Thank you. I didn't realize until recently watching Star Trek 2009 for I don't know how many time that Nero's got one of his tip of his ears is bitten off. Yeah. I didn't know. I never noticed that until recently. And it's weird because if I remember correctly, it's a different ear depending on what scene you're looking at. I don't think it's a different ear. Maybe it was a different camera. That makes no sense. That makes absolutely but you know, no sense. But what it means, maybe they accidentally reversed an angle, so it makes it look like it's on the other side of his head. They may, yeah, they may have flipped the uh, yeah. the negative. Yeah. Which I guess they don't really use negatives anymore, but you know what I mean. Don't be so negative, Bill. <laughs> I just, I'm going to punch you in your suck hole. I just, I really do. <laughs> I got to get all the laughter out because I'm going to be crying like a baby in a minute. <clears throat> I don't believe that for a minute. No, I'm not going to cry at all. No. Unless you say that we're never going to stop doing this podcast together and we'll be like joined at the hip forever. Then I might start crying. We are never going to stop doing this podcast together. We're going to be joined together at the hip. (laughs) (laughs) No, it'll be good. No, it'll be good. It'll be good. good. Coconut. All right uh, there, Jerkosaurus Rex. Are you ready to, to get this done? funny that you say that because i was watching jurassic world before i came upstairs to record tonight why is that funny because you it was it's like you were reading my mind it's got nothing to do with rex which made me think of dinosaurs which made me think of jurassic world which is what i was watching before i I can keep going (laughs) if you had said you'd been listening to the jerky boys then i would have understood jerkosaurus rex sounds like a dinosaur i love dinosaurs you're an idiot (laughs) 
All right, let's do this.